Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden at Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And a very good evening to Bob Wakesa, who joins us again this week. Bob is up in Beijing behind the Great Firewall. So we are always nervous about the connection that we have there with, uh, with, with China. But he's in Beijing where he's uh, finishing up his PhD. How much more time do you have to, on your PhD, by the way? Uh, uh, hopefully next year. If, uh, hopefully uh, next know. year. My supervisors do allow me to graduate. Yeah. And uh, he's finishing up his PhD at China Communications University. But more recently, Bob is one of the leading Sino-Africa media experts. And he's his uh, research associate in the journalism project, the China-Africa Reporting Project at Witts University there alongside Kobus in Johannesburg. Uh, Bob, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Well, we're talking to Bob because he recently wrote a paper uh, on the the forum on China-Africa cooperation. And the next conference on FOCAC will be coming up in South Africa in 2015. And so there's a lot of discussion in terms of whether or not this is actually a conference, is it an event, and the framing of these events and these conferences in the narratives that come out in the media. Kobus, I think this is very interesting because each time FOCAC gets together every three years, there really is a flurry of coverage. And in many ways, it's a way that resets the, the, the China-Africa narrative, particularly in terms of how Africans see the, the narrative being just told to them in African media and how the Chinese tell the story. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, you know, we getting deep into the weeds of, of, of academic media studies here. Um, Bob, of course, is an is a expert on framing. Um, and the paper, I found the paper incredibly interesting um, because the, obviously framing is ever-present. You know, kind of, you, you can't just, as a journalist, you can't present raw data. The data needs to be framed. It needs to be, you know, kind of edited and, and collated and, and made accessible, um, which means that there always comes a, a certain, maybe not an agenda, but certain kind of preoccupations into into the way that, it, that things are framed. So it becomes a very interesting way of looking at how, like, uh, what the preoccupations are of different agents um, do, driving this reporting. And the fact that FOCAC itself produces a bunch of media, and the fact that also that, that a lot of the Chinese coverage is, is, um, is done by journalists who have strong affiliations with the Chinese Communist Party or by actual organs of the Chinese Communist Party like CCTV, um, you know, kind of makes makes Bob's work really interesting for me, um, and I think for a lot of people, you know, kind of because it 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 shows how how these issues are framed in Africa and in China, and it's in, as you know, kind of it's, it's very very interesting how how they differ. Um, Bob, I was wondering if you could perhaps give us an idea of what the main frames are that you found in Chinese coverage of the fo- of FOCAC so far. No, I, I think the framing uh, emanates, like you rightly point out, from the fact that, uh, uh, you know, the FOCAC is framed on, I found uh, particularly four interesting frames that are emerged. And, and this is uh, one, it is the solidarity frame, uh, the, the frame that, you know, during uh, FOCAC, it's an opportunity for China and the, you know, the African continent, African countries, leaders from these uh, countries, to say, look, we we are in solidarity, uh, you know, on a south-south cooperation uh, perspective, and uh, we are trying to battle with the rich north, you know. So it's uh, south-south versus south against rich north. You have the peace frame, which talks about the need for, you know, Africa to be a peaceful continent, so that. Um, 
and in all these things about coexistence and so forth. And then you have uh, the economic frame, which is really the huge, huge frame where you're talking about mutual benefits in terms of uh, uh, China not just going in for aid, you know, like as aiding Africa, but actually getting something out of it instead of just aid and so forth. And and so these these are these frames actually seen in uh, both African and Chinese media. From uh, the Chinese media, basically, they are positive on all these scores. But when you look at uh, African media reporting, you find that actually there's some level of incredulity. There's some uh, level in which some African media, the, the ones I've st- studied perhaps, uh, seem to question some of the aspects of the relationship being those of equal partners. And, and, and therefore, there are frames, yes, there's agreement at some point, there's disagreement at some point, particularly on the African end of things. You know, around these summits, there's always, again, this burst of media coverage. And it's really a great opportunity because it does offer an opportunity for a pulse check to kind of see where we are in the relationship, what people are saying, what are the key issues and themes. And what brings this to mind is that, you know, FOCAC in some ways was the kind of first of the major international conferences that literally led now to, you know, every major country or power group having a conference. We just had the EU-Africa summit. We had, there's the TCAD, the Tokyo, uh, the Japanese have their summit. President Obama is going to have his big summit uh, coming up in August. And it seems like around each of these summits is an opportunity to reset the framing around the narratives uh, for each country for the bilateral relationship. So what we're seeing already now ahead of the U.S. summit coming in August the first wave of media coverage about what the U.S. agenda and the U.S. partnership with Africa. So rather than South-South, they're talking about democracy, good governance. They're talking about transparency, the fight against terrorism. Interestingly enough, these are, of course, all of the agenda items of the United States, not surprisingly. Uh, But I'm curious to hear what you think in terms of how the narratives and the framing that we're seeing with respect to the Chinese and FOCAC compare to what we're seeing with Japan, the EU, and the United States, among others. No, I I think for, first of all, you know, the... the the topics, themes, frames, and so forth do not just emerge from uh, nowhere. I think they speak to how these various interested parties, these various countries, uh, you know, see Africa and how Africa sees them as well. Uh, for, for the Chinese, because they they look at uh, Africa as an opportunity, they they find that the five principles that they have operated with, you know, famous of which is non-interference and, and so forth, will serve them well if they are to go to Africa and have a discussion, an engagement uh, at the political and economic level. Uh, it will help them to kind of have Africans uh, accept them and then engage in economic um, you know, relations. As to whether those relations benefit Africa or China more is another question altogether. As, as as for the U.S., you know, of course, it all this emerges from uh, the you know the liberal kind of uh, thinking out there in the West, and and therefore, uh, and of course, where this emerges in recent times is the fact that in 2012 the Obama administration also brought out its Africa policy, which actually went heavy, of course, on the issues you just mentioned of human rights, democracy, and 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 so forth. So uh, as it is, there's actually a battle between all these. Uh, various entities 
in a kind of quoting Africa. Now, on the African side, there's quite a bit of confusion. I want to imagine, you know, a president such as Jacob Zuma, for example, looking to the U.S. and uh, understanding, you no, know, look, uh, there's uh, this talk of human rights and democracy, and that is an important consideration. Then on the other side, looking to China and saying, no, look, forget about all these human rights issues and so forth, and just consider economic uh, development as the key issue now. So it will appear that Africans are now, you know, lost, just like the, it was in the Cold War period, in terms of the major frames that are driving the geopolitics of the of the world today. So they look east, they look west, and, you know, there's um, just thorough confusion, perhaps. That would be my input I, for now, yes. I, I also think that, you know, what the, there's two other issues involved. One is that, to a certain extent, Africa frequently becomes this kind of blank slate where people can can project whatever they want on Africa. Um, and then, I f of course, I think, but, but I think more fundamental than that is that there are very, like, really different ideas of what development constitutes coming from China and for coming from America. And it, it's, if you look at the position of Japan, um, there, <laughs> it's kind of interesting because they 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 kind of split the difference in a way particularly particularly the last the last uh, TCAD um you know communique that 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 emerged i think last late last year um you know and and the by the way the japanese are quite strenuous that that TCAD em emerged before FOCAC and yes, that they yes, actually indeed. set yeah. up the the summit thing it's so indeed, you know yes. kind of like if you speak to, to japanese foreign policy people or for, for especially foreign ministry people they they're quite like they quite insistent on that point um but you know kind of the the japanese the line that the japanese are taking now is is this kind of human level development um so they they're taking a bit of economic development from the Chinese side and they're taking a bit of like governance and you know kind of and uh, democracy from the American side and they're positioning themselves as people who develop African human capital um, kind of on the ground um, you know kind of and in, in a way kind of carving out this kind of space in between those kind of those, those views so it's really interesting to see. And not to be confused, the fact that the Japanese are also waging uh, a very tense diplomatic struggle with China in Asia, and there are some suspicions that Africa is a new front in the diplomatic struggle between China and Japan, that the Japanese feel that they have been outdone by the Chinese, and so therefore they are going to uh, uh, kind of fight them there. Just a quick reference. Not everybody may be familiar with what TCAD is, and we've said it a couple different times. It's the Tokyo International Conference on African Development. It effectively is the FOCAC, which is the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation, which is the same as the European Union. What, what do they call it? It's the Europe-Africa Summit. Uh, but each yes. one has their names uh, on these. Why do you think these summits have become uh, such vogue in vogue right now? What Are they effective? Do you think that they are ways of channeling billions of dollars of aid? Is it just for good headlines? What part of this, um, of, the, of the narrative between China and Africa and China and Africa and the rest of the world has led us to these massive expensive summits? I think uh, they they play multiple roles. So you you, you probably can't just look at them as uh, you know showbiz, you know events that come once in a while and everybody then uh, says no look people are, you know senior and leaders are meeting and uh, therefore we need to focus on them as media and so forth. But uh, it's an opportunity for people to ink deals. You know I'll tell you an example. I was um, 
In fact, it's not just the, 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 the summits that are held between China and uh, Africa or Japan and Africa, uh, but also the attendance of uh, global powers at African events. If you go, I attended the a, an AU summit not too long ago, and I was actually shocked to see many more Westerners and uh, you know, not quite Westerners, but foreigners at the event, more than Africans themselves in terms of those who are seeking out bilateral discussions on the side. Um, and of course, as Cobb has pointed out, the very first uh, of uh, the major event that uh, we've seen of this nature, it was the Tikard one in 1993. Uh, but it was not uh, really major in terms of being, uh, in terms of the fanfare and pomp and uh, you know ceremony that went with it. And, and therefore, it's I think the Chinese that have taken it to the second level, to the higher level. And in this respect, we can say that uh, perhaps Tickets, uh, you know, coming back again into the show as a big event, the EU-Africa summit and the anticipated uh, Obama uh, event in uh, Washington this August are actually trying to, uh, particularly the 2006 FOCAC meeting, which was represented by 48 African uh, countries. I, I think it is uh, at the level of symbolism when you just have so very many African heads of state uh, in one place, it is actually, everybody then focuses on it. But beyond that, there are action plans that are developed. It is at the FOCAC event in 2012 that China announced US 20 billion uh, as a fund that um, will then go into the deals that are being structured. And, and uh, at the AU-Africa summit not too long ago in uh, Brussels, there was an announcement of 38 billion uh, euros into structuring deals and, and, and so forth. So it is not just fanfare. I think it is an opportunity to do uh, deals on a continental level, but also to have an opportunity to have on the side bilateral discussions. At the FOCAC meeting in July 2012 here in Beijing, I was advantaged to be there and you know just to observe. And you could see that apart from the major conference events, you could see various companies, you know, ZTE, Huawei, China Road and Bridge Company, actually engaging presidents and prime ministers and so forth, taking advantage of the event perhaps to ink deals. So it is symbolism, yes, but beyond that, uh, it's an, a way in which you can attract a whole continent and then ink deals one-on-one. -on -one. Bob, you you made a very interesting point in your in your paper that whereas the Chinese the Chinese officials were almost and Chinese coverage of FOCAC was almost completely positive and really you know kind of use the you know focus on these frames of friendship, peace, solidarity, and and so on that that you mentioned. African journalists were actually quite mu quite more um, critical, um, and you know, kind of mostly focused on economic on what kind of economic gains Africa will be able to get. Um, yeah. Like, how, you know, kind of do, do you foresee that that you know, kind of continuing uh, with FOCAP in FOCAP in twenty twelve or to twenty fifteen? I mean, um, and the fact that the, how do you think it's the fact that it's gonna that FOCAP will be in in Africa will change the kind of African coverage of FOCAP? No, actually, the next FOCAC is a very interesting one because it's not just happening anywhere. It's happening in South Africa. And COBAS, your country, is basically seen as the leader on the continent in many respects. <laughs> um, and, 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 and therefore, when you see the, the FOCACs that were held in... I'm not uh, sure the Shambhal, Nigerians would agree with you on that one, by the way. Yeah, no, you, you're getting a lot of hate from Nigeria there. <laughs> no, for our Nigerian brothers, we'll agree that the economy, the GDP is bigger than South Africa's. But uh, guys are also saying, no, look, we are talking about also per capita 
capita GDP, which <laughs> means the you know that then uh, complicates things a bit. Um, uh, but, but anyway, moving on and then just for refocusing again on this uh, issue, it is that. Uh, there's very interesting uh, stuff happening in the research institutions in South Africa because, you know, again, you know, I'm not praising South Africa, but um, the fact is that South Africa has the highest number of uh, research institutions that are trying to develop the so-called China literacy, just like Australia did. Uh, and and, and uh, one of the questions that is coming out of that is that is, has, does South Africa have a China uh, policy, just like China has a South Africa uh, I mean, an African policy. And, and and therefore, if this is going to make its way into popular media or even analysis, because the researchers in South Africa and also on the continent, for that matter, will, will perhaps be generating some literature that will find its way into the media. So I think question, once questions of South Africa's or Africa's policy towards China starts rising, that will then go into the media in a way that will be perhaps critical, perhaps, you know, uh, both appreciating the positive aspects thereof of the relationship, but looking at areas where the relationship can be recalibrated so that they can actually be seen as a relationship between equals. Um, the second point that uh, perhaps is worth pointing out is, uh, is, is the fact that for African media and therefore African publics, they, we are almost like uh, naturally, I don't know, and this is a legacy of perhaps uh, our links with the West, we are naturally critical so that even when there are positive aspects, we don't need, we, we don't necessarily focus too much on the positives. Perhaps we should do more on that. But we focus on areas that need to uh, be made better. So similarly, I don't see the next focus meeting uh, in terms of reporting by African media focusing necessarily only on the positive aspects, but also looking at areas that perhaps, for example, trade imbalances, for example, issues to do with the uh, agency on, in terms of uh, who is in charge of FOCAC. Is it just China or is it African countries? Can African countries also have much more input? In terms of the documents that are generated at FOCAC, you know, the two main documents is the action plan and the declaration. If you look at the language of those two documents and you do an analysis, a discourse analysis on them, you realize that they, they, they are... The language there is the language is more of Chinese language of uh, mutual benefits, win-win cooperation, you know, and and so forth. I, I I in my analysis of most African documents of a similar nature, you see very little of that kind of language. So, to what extent then should we see promulgations, very important statements coming out of such conferences that reflect both uh, input by Africans and Chinese? So, I think this will be major issues that uh, will come up for, for discussion. Uh, of course, I'm saying this with um, understanding that the China-Africa relations have been welcomed. I'm, I'm one of the supporters, I must actually point out that. But uh, as most Africans, we are usually looking at which are the areas that we need to rethink to even make the relations better. Uh, Bob, the paper you wrote is called Whose Event? Official versus Journalistic Framing of the Fifth Forum on China-Africa Cooperation. I will admit, this one's a little bit wonky and a little bit academic, so if you are a true bona fide media geek along the lines of Cobus, then you will love this. Uh, it's in the Journal of African Media Studies, Volume 6, Number 1, came out this year. So do a search for that and you can find it. Bob, as always, it's really a pleasure to have you on the show and to really, you know, challenge us in our thinking and what and how we see these events. If people want to follow what you're doing, what you're reading and writing, what's the best way they can stay in touch with you? 
I think they, they can stay in touch with me at, uh, you know, Facebook is uh, Bob Wekesa. And uh, of course, if they basically because I'm in China, like I've mentioned previously, uh, they can actually Google my name perhaps and so forth. But the other many avenues that they can uh, find me that way, yeah. Uh, Bob is, again, at Wits University in South Africa with the China-Africa Reporting Project. He's also completing his PhD at China Communications University. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bob. Thank you so very much. Too. Glad to you had me on. Yeah. And Kobus, if people want to follow what you're doing these days, what's the best way they can stay in touch? You'll see me on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Um, and we try and update around the clock. Um, and also I'm on Twitter at Stadenesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well. I'm over at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Uh, lots of conversations going on over there. I'm posting the top China Africa headlines almost every day. And as Kobus said, join us on Facebook. 185,000 followers from all over the world having a fantastic conversation about all issues related to China, uh, China's engagement in Africa, but also uh, Africans in China. So we do both ways, uh, but it's just a great forum to get together. And hopefully, Bob, when you're out from under the great firewall, you can join us again and post some comments. People would love to hear from you and ask questions of you as well and tap into your expertise. Uh, We'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Until then, thank you so much for listening.